So we're starting a brand new series today called Living on a Prayer, Living on a Prayer. Like Eric said earlier, we're kicking off this new year talking about prayer and how uh, we can become people of prayer. And today I'm going to take us backwards in scripture to an ancient prayer that the children of Israel, the Hebrew people would have been taught and they would have actually passed this prayer down to generation to generation, their children's children's children. They would have repeated this prayer. This would have been a daily practice of theirs. And that prayer would have been called the Shema. Everyone say Shema. You know Hebrew. Good job. You can use this this week to your coworkers or friends. Shema simply just means hear or listen. Shema, this ancient Hebrew prayer. And we're going to read it. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. It says this, Hear, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Now today I get to kick off this series. We're going to break down a few of these uh, words in the coming weeks, but today I get to uh, kick off what this series is about and what the Shema prayer is and how we can find application for our own life here in the beginning of the new year in 2024. And I'm asking us to kind of put on your learner's cap today. If you're out of school, uh, welcome back. Class is in session this morning. And if you didn't want to come into class, tough luck, you're here. And the doors are locked so you can't leave. So grateful for you. And I also am going to ask you or challenge you maybe in the new year that you would be a little bit of a note taker today. Bust out your notes. Uh, maybe it's a piece of paper and a pen. If you don't have one, bump your neighbor, ask for one. If they don't have one, then maybe write it on your phone. Open your notes app. And if I see you doing that, I'm trusting you're taking notes and not texting a friend or looking on social media or checking your email. But this is, this is the message for us to take some notes, okay? So I'm challenging all of us to do so. And I'm watching you. That's why I got my glasses on today. I can see every single one of you. I got crazy hypervision. I can see if you're texting or taking notes. That's not true. But today we're going to learn about the Shema prayer and pull some application from Scripture today. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for moments like these where we can look backwards and go back into the ancient text and the ancestors that we, God, get to inherit this prayer, this, this idea of the Shema, that God, may we draw application and draw great reminders for us to be, become people of prayer and what it means for our lives on a daily basis. And God, we know that today is a really important day because there's these two teams that are playing and we already know your favorite one. And God, we're asking that they would win today. And that team would be the Chicago Bears. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. <clears throat> if you Packer fans said amen, I'm just saying. You agreed with God and you agree with me. And if you want to leave now, I wouldn't blame you. Or if you want to shut off your ears, go right ahead. But we're going to listen today. Why? Because it's the Shema. Now, let me tell you a story. Years and years and years ago, I was a youth pastor in Houston, Texas. And as a youth pastor, you wear many hats. You wear the hat of being a teacher, a leader, a guide. A, a, um, you're going to football games and basketball games, and you're attending their school lunches, and you're throwing on youth services and events and summer camps. And you find yourself at musicals and band rehearsals. I'm telling you, 
I've been and seen all of it. And then you take some of these like students that are in your youth ministry, you take them out to maybe to lunch or grab a bite to eat before the group gathers, say on a Wednesday night. And one of these particular times, a guy that was on my staff, his name was Jamal. Jamal and I took out a couple of these guys that we've seen all four years and they're seniors. We took them to one of the best burger joints in all of Houston, Texas called Hop Dotty Burgers. And we brought Dom and Jeremiah and Jake and some others and we're standing in line and this is like a really popular burger spot. So the line is like out the door. So we have a lot of time to be talking and figuring out what we want and finally get a little bit closer to the menu and this chalkboard menu is above us and Dom leans over and says, hey, Trev, what should I get? What's the best burger? I was like, I don't know. What do you like? He's like, I don't know. I don't know what I like. I was like, well, maybe just go the normal route and don't do something silly or stupid or foolish. He's like, well, what's, what about that one? I said, well, that, that there's called the El Diablo. And, and, and the description is very crystal clear. That one it's got some kick to it. It's a little spicy. It's got some fire to it, hence the name El Diablo. So then we kind of get to our orders, and when you know it, Dom orders the El Diablo. We get our sodas, and we sit down. We're at this long table, and Dom's kind of like across from me, and I'm talking to all the other folks that are there, all the other guys that are there, and Dom takes the first bite of his burger, and when you know it, he's like, oh, man, it's got some heat to it. It's like, yeah, you okay? He's sucking down his soda a little quicker than you normally would. And I say, hey, Dom, you okay? He's like, yeah, man, you weren't lying. This is a hot burger. I say, it's called the El Diablo. In the description, fire, it's hot, spicy. Beads of sweat are dripping down his forehead. I kid you not. And everyone else kind of stops the conversation, starts looking at Dom to see if Dom's going to be okay, if he's going to survive this burger. And eventually gets a second bite and third bite. He is on fire, sweating through his shirt. This is a spicy burger. And I'm like, Dom, buddy, what did I tell you? Did you not hear me? I told you this is going to be a hot, spicy burger. You didn't listen. Why am I telling you about the story of Dom and the Hop Dottie Burger, the El Diablo? Well, it's because we see here in Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that This word hear was really incredibly critical to the Hebrew people, to hear, to listen, to shema. And also the shema prayer would have been almost like a a prayer of their allegiance to the one and only God, Yahweh, is that they would tune their ears and their lives to listen to what the one God is actually saying to them. And also this word shema not only actually means hear or listen. See, in the ancient Hebrew text, the word obedience doesn't have a word in Hebrew. It's the exact same word, shema. So this idea of hearing and listening isn't just opening up your ears, it's actually putting action to your life. So thinking about Dom and standing in that line that day, I'm like, you didn't not only hear me, You didn't even do the thing I told you not to do, right? This is the daily struggle that I have with my kids, my two amazing, beautiful, just phenomenal boys. Hey, guys, you're not listening. Or if you acted like you heard me, you sure aren't doing what I told you. So this word Shema is actually two sides of the exact same coin. It's hear and listen. And on the other side, it's do and obey. It's actually doing the things that God is 
saying to you. So this ancient prayer was so critical to the Hebrew people that they would, like I said earlier, pass it to generation to generation, that they actually put a daily practice in their own life that they would repeat this prayer over and over and over again. That they would practice this idea of Shema to listen to what Yahweh, God, is saying and then begin to do what he's telling you to do. Let's repeat it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Now a couple verses later, after this moment, it's found in verse 8. Deuteronomy 6, 8 says this is that you shall bind them, these these commandments that God is giving to the Hebrew people, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Now, without going down this long rabbit hole, this idea of binding something to your hand, they would actually have this strap that they would wrap around their wrist all the way to their hand, almost be like a small little box filled with really tiny uh, rolled up scrolls of the ancient text to remind them of these certain things, to remind them of their allegiance to God. And then they would have this headband that on the frontlets of their eyes and between their eyelids, they would have another small box with the same thing, small little scrolls that in their prayer times, they would be reminded of the scriptures that they were praying on a daily basis. This is why it's important that the psalmist who says that the word is a lamp unto my feet, that the word of God is actually guiding me where I am going that you begin to hear what God is saying, listening, and then doing the works that God says to us. And I can't think of a better way of giving us a picture of what it looks like to start off a brand new year. For most of us in the room, you have what's called a New Year's resolution. There's some things that maybe you took time at the beginning of the year already to write some things down, some goals, some dreams, some aspirations, and maybe you shared them with a friend or a spouse or a loved one, and you're saying, hey, Here are some things I want to get better at. I want to become the best version of myself. I want to get healthy this year. I want to be more of a patient person this year. I have it in in my dreams to start that business this year. There's some resolutions that I have. I want to be a kinder person, a better friend, a better spouse, more patient with my children, whatever it may be. There's something that we have resolution in. And may I submit to all of us to have a resolution in this idea of being a person that practices the daily discipline of prayer. That may this be something that you and I begin to put into full practice, that we'd be people of prayer, that we'd have this discipline of putting time aside to make sure we're practicing time with God, that we would listen, that we would shema, and we begin to do the things that God is asking us to do, that we put this into practice. There is this viral video a little over 20 years ago of a famous basketball player at a press conference. The basketball player's name was Allen Iverson. Absolutely love Allen Iverson. Had his shoes in high school. And he was being criticized, even though he was a Hall of Fame basketball player, he was criticized of this thing called practice. Now, you're going to have to go home and maybe Google this or put it on YouTube, but in two minutes, Allen Iverson, for two straight minutes, said the word practice 22 times. And he kept saying, we're talking about practice, practice. We're talking about practice. We're not not talking about the game that I play. We're talking about practice because he was being criticized that he wasn't showing up to practice or that he wasn't practicing well enough. And this Hall of Fame basketball player is basically saying, what does it matter about practice if I'm showing up in the game? Y'all want to come at me about 
practice. So for two minutes straight, 22 times, he says, practice, almost like shrugging it off. Like, does that really matter? And today, yeah, we're talking about practice. Now, I can't help but think about this man in the book of Daniel, name Daniel, who actually put this prayer life into practice. Daniel was a righteous man who was exiled out of his hometown, Jerusalem, and he was living in a place called Babylon. Many different foreign gods. There was kings that were absolutely insane, and yet Daniel finds himself in the middle of that type of culture, and he doesn't give up his daily practice. Let's read it. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 says this. Daniel always prayed to God three times every day. Three times every day he bowed down on his knees to pray and praise God. Even though Daniel heard about the new law that was to praise and bow down to other gods, he still went to his house to pray. He went up to the upper room of his house and opened the windows that faced toward Jerusalem. Then Daniel bowed down on his knees and prayed just as he always had done. Three times a day, Daniel would pray the Shema prayer. It was a daily practice. It was almost like a no-brainer. This was set in his Google calendar. He was always prepared to pray the Shema prayer, always prepared to pray three times a day. Now, I'm not asking us to pray three times a day. I'm not asking us to maybe put this in your calendar to remind you. And maybe that is what it, is, what it takes to remind yourself of becoming a person that's disciplined in the practice of prayer, to become a person who prays, who hears, who listens to what God is saying in their lives and begin, life and begin to practice this idea of prayer. Maybe for you it is putting a reminder in your phone. Maybe it's the first thing you do when you wake up instead of grabbing for your phone, looking at your emails or text messages or social media, you, you sit and you pray for 15, 30 seconds. And maybe it's on your lunch break. Maybe that's a reminder that this is my moment that I spend a few moments and I just simply pray. Or on your commute to work, whether it's five minutes or 25 minutes, this is my moment that I pray. These are these practices I'm going to put in place this year with all the hustle and bustle, all the different things that are going on in my life. This is the thing I'm going to put into place when it comes to a spiritual discipline. We're talking about practice. If Daniel, in the middle of a foreign culture where he is being forced to bow down to other foreign gods, he still found himself going up to the upper room of his place and praying. We're talking about practice. Now, if we fast forward, we want to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus in his ministries as he was healing people and performing miracles and teaching his disciples and others, he was asked by his own disciples, by his followers, that, they, that Jesus would teach them how to pray. In the book of Luke, his disciples look at Jesus, they look at their rabbi, their brand new rabbi, and they said, hey, would you teach us how to pray? We've been taught all these different things, but Jesus, what do you have to say? And he responds in the book of Luke, what we would know as, know as the Lord's Prayer. But in Matthew, it's also recorded, the Lord's Prayer is also recorded. And I love his response in Matthew chapter six. Imagine us even today asking Jesus, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And I'm gonna put up the message translation because I really enjoy the 
the Eugene Peterson version here as he creates this amazing response that Jesus would have had to his own disciples in this time. Chapter six, verse six says this. Here's what I want you to do. Imagine yourself just asking Jesus, teach us how to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? Here's his response. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Now picture this for you and for me. You're asking Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and find a quiet, secluded place so you don't have to perform in front of others, making it all about you. No, no, make it about your true, honest self. Bring your full, honest self to God, presenting those requests to him, and the focus will shift from you. It'll shift to God, and you'll begin to sense his grace. Now, Jesus continues in Matthew 6, 7 through 13 in answering this similar question. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God, as if this is a transactional relationship. And Jesus simply says, don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. And here's Jesus, again, in the message translation. Look at these beautiful words. He says, you would pray like this, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. On earth as it is in heaven, right? Keep us alive with three square meals. This is your daily bread that we're praying for. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. This is the beautiful part of the word Shema. It's your listening that you're asking for forgiveness. And not only does forgiveness stop with you, it is meant to be given to others. And Jesus is modeling this in his prayer that he's teaching his disciples, that you would not only receive forgiveness, but you would be one who forgives. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil, the evil one. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. This Lord's prayer, a daily discipline of setting time aside to pray these words, to set your life aligned with what God wants in your life. Amen. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I don't really need another cool fad or life hack to get me where I want to go. In my life, I, I, I'm tired of kind of putting band-aids over the hurts and pains of my life. I, I truly internally want transformation. And I think for most of us, that's something that we desire truly in our lives. We want transformation from the inside out. For me, though, how I operate is that it will require some really practical steps to actually acquire the transformation. Some things that I put in place, these practices. So here's what we're gonna do. This is your note-taking time. If you've already been taking notes, you get a gold star on the way out. If you take notes now, you get two gold stars. Congratulations. I'm gonna break this word Shema down as an acronym to remind us to kind of start off the year of the importance of this practice of prayer, maybe for this week or for this month or maybe for this entire year, we commit to this. And prayerfully, it becomes a disciplined practice of our lives, just like Daniel. 
even in the midst of foreign cultures and times where we don't fully understand things, we still have these practices and principles set in place in our life. So here it is, the acronym SHEMA. I'm telling you, write it down. And then I'm gonna share a scripture with every single one of these that will not be on the screen, so this is why you gotta really pay attention. The S stands for surrender. Surrender. Just like in Jesus' prayer that he was teaching his disciples, it's almost like this entire emptying of yourself out. God, you are in charge. You are the only one, and I'm surrendering my life fully to you. When you set these times aside to pray, that you'd be a person that approaches him in a posture of just surrender, emptying your full self out before God. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, write that verse down. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. As you are praying, as you set that time aside, you are surrendering, you're saying, I'm not going to submit to my own understanding. I'm gonna submit myself to your wisdom and your guiding and leading in my life. May you make my path straight daily. Surrender. The H is here. Here. Now the whole word Shema, like we said earlier, means here, to listen, right? But when you're approaching your time in prayer, you're surrendering, you're emptying yourself out, and then you're giving your, your, yourself time to hear what he has to say to you. Attuning your ear and listening to the voice of God in your life. This is why Jesus taught this in John 10, 27. Write that down, John 10, 27. My sheep, my followers, they listen to my voice. They shema my words. I know them and they follow me. So in your time of prayer that you're setting aside, it's I'm surrendering myself and then I'm giving space to hear what God has to say. Is it minutes? Is it hours? It's up to you. But it is time that you are being diligent in saying I'm going to Hold space to hear what he has to say so then I can hear his voice and know where to go as I follow him. Amen? E is engage. Engage. This idea that once you surrender, once you begin to hear, you engage God in, in conversation. Your, your relationship with him is you're talking to him. You're making requests known to him. You're asking God to help you in a situation at work or in your family. You're praying for that coworker or for that neighbor. You're praying for healing and health in your own life. This is what we do every single Sunday when we gather this verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Under the word engage, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, what? Present your requests to God. Engage with Him. So you surrender, take time to hear, you're engaging, and M is meditate, meditate. Now this word in Hebrew is the word Hagah, Hagah meaning mutter. Meditation in Hebrew wasn't just your sitting and being full of emptiness. Instead of meditating in the Hebrew language would have actually been muttering his word, his ancient text, the scriptures that you're reading that you would actually begin to speak it out over your life. So you're surrendering your life. You're beginning to hear what God has to say. You're beginning to talk back to him. And then you take his holy word and you begin to pray it over your life. Maybe it's a verse of the day. 
Maybe it's some, a verse that you're sharing with a friend of yours. Maybe it's a Bible study that you're doing. Instead of just reading it with your eyes and your mind, you're actually beginning to say it over your life. You're beginning to mutter. You're beginning to haggah. You're beginning to meditate on his word and speak it over your life. Look what it says in Psalms 1, 2 through 3. Two through three. I'll read it. So write that down. Psalms 1, 2 through 3. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord? And who meditates Hagah on his law day and night? The person who is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do, prosper. I want to be like the tree planted by the living water in my life. What does that require? Muttering and meditating on his word on a daily basis. This daily practice discipline myself in prayer. Amen? Lastly, you have surrender and hear. You're engaged. You're meditating. You're muttering his word over your life and praying it over your life. And A is align and act. I like both those A's because I wanted to talk about both of them. So it's A and A today. (laughs) Align and act. This is exactly what Jesus talks about in the scripture that we read earlier, the Lord's Prayer. It's that you would align your life with God's will and his way. That you would not lean on your own understanding, but you would actually find alignment with what God is saying in your life. That the same thing that's happening in heaven would become known and obvious here on this earth is that we would align ourselves. So after we are surrendering, after beginning to learn how to hear his voice, after we're engaging and speaking to God and meditating and muttering his word over our life and circumstances and situation, that we begin to find alignment in him. And then we act upon what he says. What I say earlier about the word Shema, in the Hebrew language, there is no word for obedience. It's the same exact word. It's a two-sided coin. You're hearing his word, you're listening to it, and then on a daily basis, it was fully understood to the ancient Hebrew people that they would do what God says. And we see this found in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. James 1.22. You don't just listen to the word. You would do what it says. So let's be people that, as we approach God this week, this month, this year in our lives, that we'd be people that would surrender, that would hear, that would begin to engage and meditate on his word, and we'd align our lives and begin to act and do the things that God is asking us to do. Amen? ask you the question, do you want transformation this year in your life? I hope all of us would say, yeah, I do. So what would it look like for City Church? What would it look like if we engage this on a daily basis, beginning to put in a daily discipline, a practice of prayer every single day in our life? If it is a reminder in your phone, do it. If it's something you need to write down, on your bathroom mirror, do it. If it's a scripture that you need to pray over your life on a daily basis, put it right there on your visor in your car. Do it. Whatever it takes, we be people of prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this word today. Thank you for this reminder of the importance of practicing prayer. Just like Daniel, we see all the things that Daniel had to face in his day. And yet he surrendered fully, surrendered himself to the daily practice 
a prayer of Shema, of hearing and listening and then acting and doing what it is that God he was hearing. God, I pray that all of us begin to step into this practice, that this would be a year for us to create resolutions in multiple areas, but God, may this be the one that we begin to be so resolute on, knowing God, there's so much transformation that takes place when we spend time in your presence. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.